This program was brought to you by the Academy Opus Caseus, whose training programs bring cheese professionals to the next level. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd. This is your host, Greg Blaze. We have a great show for you today focusing on the Pacific Northwest and some new and exciting stuff coming out of there. In the studio, I'd love to welcome Anna Jewell, a.k.a. Mama Jewell, as my co-host. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Greg. It's great to be here. Thanks. You may remember Anna from a couple of past episodes as the founder of Cheese Journeys, a company focused on cheese-centric travel. After the break, she's going to talk to us about an amazing trip to Oregon that she's organized. Sounds pretty fun, and I hope I can go. But first, on the line, we have Dan Utano, cheesemaker and production manager of Ferndale Farmstead Creamery in Washington State. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Dan, and giving us a little bit of your time. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. You know, I would love it if, you know, you could, I'd love to hear about the firm, uh, the Ferndale Farmstead Creamery. I don't know it. So maybe you can start by telling us a little about the operation and what kind of cheeses you make out there. Sure, sure. Uh, well, we are brand new. We've actually just the past two weeks been making our first batches of cheese. So it's a really exciting time right now. Uh, as our name says, we are, we're our farmstead operation. We are a dairy farm in Ferndale, Washington. Uh, which is just south of the British Columbia border. Um, the the nearest city to us is uh, Vancouver in terms of major cities. We're close to Vancouver than Seattle, uh, and then Bellingham is a little more of a the, the closest hub kind of, of civilization here. Uh, so we we are a dairy farm and we're milking right on the farm, and we just built uh, about 20 feet away a, a creamery, and um, we're. Currently making all Italian style cheeses, and we're basing that off of. Uh, originally, the idea kind of came from the idea that there's really not anybody out here doing that, and um, you know we don't want to be uh, we don't want to just be another small player. So we kind of want to be uh, somebody who can kind of come in and, and and take the Pacific Northwest cheese scene by storm, kind of join in. Uh, the likes of Rogue and Point Reyes and kind of become a household name like that. Um, we have currently have our head cheese maker, Raphael Moscolo, uh, and he's been making cheese in Italy and the United States for over 30 years. That's fantastic. Uh, we also, yeah, and we've also, over the past couple of weeks, have had uh, an assortment of people from Italy out here. Uh, we have uh, dairy scientists and technicians out here. And really our goal is to be making... Uh, Italian cheese in America that tastes like it's it's coming from Italy, really something that we think is um, kind of in great need here, and uh, hopefully we can really bring out a, a real authentic flavor and something that uh, obviously we're very proud of, but it is also something that uh, is very indicative of, of the culture. I, You know, I agree. I mean, I work for Italy, so I eat an enormous amount of Italian cheese. Um, and, you know, one thing that I notice... 
a lot and you know Italian cheeses I don't know what when you say you're going to make Italian cheese are you regional specific are you going to make cheeses from the Veneto um, you're going to try to make some Asiago you're going to try to make some uh, Crucolo or what do you what are you making out there for Italian cheese uh, we're going to we're going to ask a great question we're going to be making an assortment of cheeses uh, we are set up to making a lot of mozzarella uh, specifically Fior de Latte and we're actually going to be using cultures uh, we're not going to be using vinegar in our milk at all. Uh, it is all culture-based, so uh, we really feel like then, uh, obviously, it'll be cow's milk. Um, perhaps down the line, we might invest in some water buffalo, but right now it's all cow's milk, but culture of Cure de Latte. Um, and then we're also going to be doing an assortment of aged cheeses. Uh, today is a pretty exciting day. Today we made our first test batch of grana. Oh, wow. So we're doing, um, you know, we're doing some grana. We're not doing full size, about forty-five pound wheels of grana, which is uh, still still pretty big. Yeah, that's a larger and, cheese. Uh, and then we're going to be doing some different stuff: uh, cacciota and cacciocavallo. Um, you know, we'll be able to do a lot of cacciota. Get that out two, three weeks age max. Uh, doing some cacciocavallo. Um, we've done test batches of Asiago Fontina. We're really set up so that we can do a lot of assortments of cheeses. And right now, doing test batches, it's more of seeing what works, seeing what works well here, what works best with our milk. Um, and at a certain point, turning it over to the market and seeing what, what the market's going for. And uh, we're hoping to do a little bit fresh, a little bit aged, and and really having a, a, a variety of products there. Yeah, well, you got to have the Fiore de Latte. you got to have the mozzarella because you got to make money. you got to be able to make cheese and get it out there and get money coming back in. You know, m- maturing those grana and Asiago for six, eight months, you know, you got to, you know, that's an investment in time and, and, and money. So, you know, really? I, I can understand what you're talking about there. Um, do you find that the climate um, and just the ter- the I hate that word, but the terroir there does it mimic any portion of Italy that the da- that the dairy scientists and the people that you're bringing over, you know, do they do they when they come over, do they say, hey, this reminds me of the Valle d'Aosta, or this reminds me of the Veneto, or are they like, you know, where the fuck am I right now? Have a little bit because we we're we're in an interesting area and we're we're right by the water. And we're in the lowlands, but if you look out the window from our creamery, you have a, a beautiful view of, of the Cascades and, and Mount Baker uh, right above us. Uh, so I've asked them if this reminds them at all of anywhere, you know, if this reminds them of northern Italy or anything. And uh, uh, kind of have some, some mixed answers. We've had, we actually have people here from all over. Our, our dairy science here is, is from uh, Naples. Uh, so... The big thing is, uh, you know, is really is do we have the first question is do we have the milk to do it, um, and, and and the answer was believed to be yes. Uh, we you know we have the milk to do it. Uh, we have a, a wide mix of cows here. It's a mix of Holsteins, Jerseys, and we even have some Montpellier cows here. Nice and nice. yeah, and we've also we also um, we have a separator too. So we are separating cream out. You know, we're not we're not just doing full fat. So for something like grana, uh, we're trying to hit an ideal fat content that you would find in uh, in an Italian grana, and uh, same with some of the different styles. So we're able to play with the milk a little bit to try and get what uh, what the real Italian scientists believe is the secrets to really hitting their flavors. Have you ever uh, seen grana production over there in Italy? 
yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, well, well, Parmigiano and Grana production are. That, that's a pretty. That's a pretty interesting thing to see when you get over there. And that's tough to replicate over here. I mean. Yeah, well, we're not. There'll be some subtle differences. Um, we're, we're not dipping the cloth right into the vat. We're, we're when when it's time to press our cheese and, and hoop it, we're draining into a, a drain table and pressing under the way in a drain table, and then cutting slabs and going from the slabs into the hoop. So, uh, some subtle differences, but uh, ultimately, you know, the flavor is is what we're going for. We obviously won't know. Till eight months, nine months, a year, how how this really is doing in terms of coming close to you know a real parm or a, or a real grana. Um, but our our cultures are all coming from Italy. Our rennets all coming from Italy and from a, a very small culture house uh, that really does not distribute to the U.S. very much. So, so you're getting uh, the good stuff, is again, what you're saying. You know, yeah. <laughs> so again, we're kind of just trying to do something really unique here, and we're hoping we really get uh, good, flavorful cheese that. You really don't find much outside of Italy, and I hope you do too. I I love. Uh, I I recently, and uh, well, not recently. I mean, I've always bought and sold a little bit of cheeses from uh, from the from the Pacific Northwest, but they're mostly been soft ripened cheeses. Uh, and the the Cascadia Creamery, they make the sawtooth out there, which I love. Uh, washed rind uh, organic cow, and uh, my buddy Pierre Kolish, who I don't know if he's even making cheese anymore. Um, he's from Oregon, but but I mean, I've, I've always loved the cheeses from in and around there. Um, and even though I've never been there, I feel like I have because of the because you know because of the type of cheese. But I've never really gotten the che- the, the cheeses that you're talking about making from there. So. I wish you the best of luck, and you know I hope you, uh, I hope you sell me some cheese, you know, when you get it done, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when 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 we ramp up production, we're looking to pretty much sell it to whoever wants it. So, big, small, doesn't matter to us. You'll be there for us. So, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm loath to uh, to go on social media. It's not really my thing. I'm kind of a luddite, but I read. And um, and I was reading something that you posted. Um, you, you, you just posted this amazing cheese rant on Facebook, and and, and I love to rant a lot myself. Uh, they don't. Yeah, when I took over as the host of Cutting the Curd, their biggest problem with me was that they thought I was going to curse too much, and so I really, really tried not to do that. And I think I've done a good job because I'm still doing it. Um, but I'd love to talk a little bit about more. A little bit more about what you said. So, you know, in your new operation, you're working with Italian dairy scientists and cheesemakers to develop recipes based on the milk your cows are producing. Your rant was all about a conversation you had with a fellow cheesemaker about the importance of cultures and science versus the perceived art of cheesemaking, the craft and the cheesemaker's hands in the vat. So I would wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about why you think this is an important topic in cheese today, outside of what you said. Well, I think there's, there's two, I guess there's, there's kind of like two points I can go on. And, and one, one is in terms of like food safety, there's in terms of quality, uh, which for, I guess, intensive purposes right now, we could kind of combine it to the same basic idea. Uh, is right now more than any, I think right now more than any other time, at least in the United States, there are more people making cheese, more people trying to make cheese. I feel like I, I, I'm 
constantly meeting new people or hearing about new people that are that are getting into into cheese making, and not just on a home level, but actually on an intent to sell level. Um, which in in how do you people, feel about you know, that? Um, I think it's great and it's not great. I think it's a great idea. I think it's great to think that there could be. Um, more cheese is coming up, a, a higher interest in it. Obviously, it's probably, you know, it's based on um, on a better market interest in cheese, which is great. It's great for everyone. But I think it also does two things. It, in many ways, brings the rise of mediocre cheese or, you know, saturates the market. I with, agree with um, that. True. Me- mediocrity, you know, uh, floods like our farmer's markets with people doing the same thing or or just making, uh, like I said, what I, what I kind of often see as mediocre cheese. And what becomes way more serious is when it saturates the market with unsafe cheese. People who uh, don't understand proper sanitation or disregard proper sanitation or um, in some cases aren't willing to spend the money on proper cleaning and sanitation and testing. Anna, you seem to want to chime in on that. No, I'd have to agree. It poses some other, you know, related issues that are even bigger than the initial ones we were talking about. So how does that get regulated? What standards are there going to be out there going forward? And how do we continue to look at these as the cheese industry, the artisanal or farmstead type cheese industry is wonderful to see it growing here in the U.S., but where do we see it in the next year or two and what related issues are we going to have? I mean, I'm with you, Dan. I, I think there's a lot of cheese out there, and, and I never want to discourage people from making right. cheese, or, and I don't think it's my place to do so. But I think there's a lot of stuff that tastes the same, and I wonder who's making it, and I wonder why they're making it. I mean, does that make sense, or I don't know? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. and that's, that, that's sort of the question, and I think that kind of touches on the point I was at least trying to make uh, to the person I was talking to, which is, uh, you still with us? Most, pe- most, pe- most people are calling up the same culture source, and they're buying the same cultures. Uh, and and uh, what originally sparked this conversation was me saying that, you know, I wish that there was more outlets uh, for cultures available in the U.S. because there becomes a homogeneity of flavor. You know, whether you're in Vermont or whether you're in California, if you're pasteurizing your milk and putting in the same frozen cultures... You're probably getting a pretty similar flavor profile. Well, that's science. And that's how science works, right? I mean, I mean, that, right, right, right. And and you know what we're doing here. And, and I'll say right away, it's not even necessarily a conversation about pasteurized versus raw because we're doing all pasteurized cheeses here, and we're really focusing on the quality of milk and our and our cultures to produce what we believe will be a unique flavor. And you know, the question came up: Do we make a raw milk? harm and that be our only raw milk cheese and and you know the scientists we're working on said when i make this culture it won't matter pasteurized or raw uh and we'll see you know we'll see in time that that's obviously a completely different debate but uh you know so many people they're just there's very limited culture sources you know there's three main culture sources in the u.s and that's Danisco, cargo and chris hansen um, and, you know, if you're calling up, say, Dairy Connection, uh, they're great. I, I love Dairy Connection, wonderful people. But you're going to possibly be buying the same exact culture as everybody else. So what makes the cheese different? 
Well, <laughs> uh, that depends. I mean, it depends on how you blend your cultures, uh, what you do with your cultures once they go in the milk. Obviously, it's certainly part of it. Um, it. It can be a difference in temperatures. It can also just be how well you look at what your cultures are doing and what you're doing with it in terms of how you monitor it, the trends you see. Or can you speak uh, to even, you know, with your cheeses, how are you aging that cheese and what kind of conditions, temperatures, is there any difference than what you see in, a, you know, other producers? Uh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's possible, uh, at least, you know, when I was previously working in the cheddar world, I used to have a lot of, uh, get a lot of inquiries of people who were starting up and making cheddar and trying to do bandage cheddar and you know some of the first questions are why is my cheese so crumbly or why is my cheese so dry and breaking apart you know it could have a lot to do with your temperature humidity but it could also have to do with your milk it could have to do with what you're doing in your make your ph uh, there's a lot that could go wrong in cheese making yeah, of course <laughs> you know if it was an easy thing everybody who did it would be wonderful at it but instead what we seem to see is that you know we're pulling left. I, I I don't want to be I don't want to be that guy. I, I agree with you. Basically, so what I agree with you. I want everybody to do anything that they want to do in life. Whatever you want to do in life, I want you to get it done and be happy doing it. But I think you should probably have a base knowledge of what you're doing before you go and start. You know, <clears throat> making cheese that. It's going to cost the same amount as very good cheese and maybe give the big marginal quality. Yeah, marginal quality. I, I don't get that. I don't get that. No. You, do you know what I mean? Right, right. And it, stri- it often strikes me as uh, the question I always want to ask people when they say, you know, we've decided we're going we're gonna to build a creamery. I, I find a lot of people almost seems like that's what they want to do for their retirement. And, and it's like the two questions I ask her. Why would you think cheese making would be like a fun way to spend your retirement? <laughs> <laughs> and, and two, what makes you think you could just do it? Um, and it's almost insulting for those who have put a lot into learning to do it, you know. And uh, what makes you think it's say easier than brewing, easier than wine making? You know, why not make wine? Why not brew? Uh, why cheese making? And because it's hard. Because somebody, you know, if it's because somebody loves cheese, then all the more power for them to to do what they love. But if it's because you think it's easy, uh, you should probably rethink what you're doing. You know, I I do have that same feeling. I'm just a cheesemonger. I, I I know I know the process of making cheese. Uh, I love it. I've seen it. It's amazing. I, I feel like I have a good understanding of, of of why I do what I do, and I run into that. A lot with cheesemongers. You know, you get people who come to you and they're like, I want to be a cheesemonger. What's my first job? And I'm like, clean the fucking floor, man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and the cooler. Yeah. And the cooler. <laughs> you see all that stuff there? Rewrap it, trim it, and then don't talk to me for the next six hours because I'm busy, man. You know what I mean? But, but I don't also, I think it's also a fine line because you don't, I don't, what I hate about our industry now is that. Like they're everybody should work together always. You know, you should always encourage people to want to be a cheesemaker or a cheesemonger. But I think what you're saying is that they should just understand the words that they use and the, and the conversations that they're having. Which brings me to my last point about your cheese rant. And a great thing that 
that your rant was was trying to distinguish between was an industrial, a farmstead, and an artisanal cheesemaker. And I hear these goddamn words get thrown around so much over the past uh, over the past. And I was wondering. I'm going to throw what I what I think, and you correct me if, if if I'm wrong. Industrial cheese is cheese that's been being made by a machine, correct? It's like it, it right? Uh, short answer, yes. Yes, and, and I believe actually, and I actually believe in France, uh, what they consider industrial is not necessarily made by a machine, although most, most of the industrial plants, I'm sure, are But as a plant that makes it, right? But it also has to do with Your the standardization out. of milk. Right. So you have that, right. the short answer, only because I'd yeah. love to keep yeah. you, and I know you're busy. And then you have farmstead cheese, which means that the milk is being taken from animals that live on your farm. It's a closed herd, and that that milk is being made into cheese at that farm. Correct? Yes. And yes. then you have artisan cheese, which can be both. And, and uh, my co-producer Emily and I were arguing because I was always taught way back in, you know, in, uh, in my Jenkins book reading days that an artisan cheesemaker is a handmade can buy milk from any herd they want, but they make the cheese by hand. Is that yeah. true? I would say that's a, that's a pretty accurate assessment. Anna, you're, Anna, you look like you want to say something here. No, I think that artisan cheese, or that definition of the word artisanal, has evolved a little bit and maybe encompasses a broader combination of those types of cheeses. So handmade, farmstead is a part of that. But there's also other cheese producers that are producing cheese and buying their milk somewhere else. Small batch, all those types of words. Maybe it's an ongoing discussion. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I, I would say at this point, a lot of those words have completely lost their meaning. And I agree. For agree. Me, I, I think for me, I, you know, big or small, I kind of don't really care at this point. Yeah, me if neither. Good. If, if it's good, it's good. And I don't care how big you are or, or what you put into it. Um, like I, I, I'll, I'll, like I think um, somebody like Rothkeis, I think their Grand Cru or Schwab's one of the best cheeses I've ever had. Yeah, I don't that's care good stuff. How big their creamery is, or uh, you know how mechanized part of that process might be. And, and I think that's where I go with the whole science versus non-science. It's not about big or small to me, but I believe there's a lot of people who believe in doing something the right way. Um, utilizing the data that exists, uh, utilizing science, whether you're doing it with your hands, to, well, you're stirring vacuum with your hands, you're stirring the vat with a machine. Uh, it's what you understand about your milk, what you understand about your culture, um, how you taste, how you grade, how you evolve your cheese. That's what's going to define you. And, you know, big, small, I don't care. Just give me good cheese. You know what, man? I think that's a pretty awesome thing to say. And uh, we're going to go to break and let you go back to doing what you do best, although you're pretty goddamn good on the radio. So if you want to come back (laughs) up and talk to me, I'd love to. We're going to take a short break here on Cutting the Curd, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Mama Jewel about a cheese journey up Maybe coming up your way, Dan, then. Yeah, we're going to be in the Northwest next year, Dan. We might have to stop in. Stay yeah, tuned. Come on up. Come on up. We're, we're happy to entertain. Thanks so much, Thank Dan. You. 
listening to Manufactured Consent. This is Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The Academy Opus Caseus is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. The Academy is the only professional cheese school integrating hands-on practice, formal instruction, and curriculum-related visits in every course. The Academy's core courses for mongers and affineurs are offered at the Mons facilities in France, and abridged courses are offered in Vermont, California, and London. A structured discipline of sensory analysis is practiced daily. The Academy has been recognized by the American Cheese Society as an approved education center for those preparing for the Certified Cheese Professional Exam. Here's a reading of a quote from Kevin Palmaccio, a graduate of the program. The balance of time is what sets essential foundations apart from other educational opportunities. While the classroom is important, spending time at the goat farm and working alongside the Mons staff immersed us in real work and taught me real skills I've already applied in my career. As a relative newcomer to the cheese business, daily concentration on sensory analysis was paramount. As a cheesemonger, I'm now in a better position to familiarize myself with a wide range of products and sell with more confidence. For more information and to apply for courses, visit their website at academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. That was a great first segment, and I want to thank Dan again for coming on. That was awesome. I love talking about stuff like that. So I'm here today with Anna Jewell of Cheese Journeys, one of my favorite people. I like all the jewels. They're like the best. <laughs> They're oh, just great, the great, best. Great. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about exciting new ventures in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Anna, it's it's really great to have you here, and it's a very exciting time for you, I'm sure, because you just announced a new cheese journey to Oregon. So I was wondering if you could remind our listeners about what Cheese Journeys is all about and maybe talk a little bit about this new trip. Yeah, it's great to be here, Greg. You know, um, Cheese Journeys, again, is a boutique-style travel uh, company that I founded in the last few years with the focus of really educating people, primarily cheese enthusiasts, but also professionals in the industry as well as uh, cheese beverage professionals, um, about the, the production of cheese on a global level and give them an opportunity to be able to travel, have those experiences, meet these people through the back door, as well as other types of food producers in those, those regions around the world. So that being said, you know, we started with our couple tours in Europe because um, my partner, Chris George, and I thought, wow, who doesn't want to go to England and France, right? And that's where we I want to go. I know. And we spent a lot of time there. We love it. We never get tired of it. But um, an opportunity came up to think about building the first tour here uh, in the U.S. because we wanted to highlight all of the great producers and the interesting and amazing things that are happening in cheese production on the West Coast, clear to the East Coast, and uh, an opportunity came up to feature Oregon. So why Oregon, though? Well, 
We love Oregon. Why do you love Oregon? <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, we. Ha- I mean, I love it too. Yeah, but. yeah. It's so unique, right? Uh, we were actually approached by some of the producers there. Um, our friend David Gremmel, you know, at Rogue Creamery. Absolutely. And all of those folks um, there. And, of course, we knew Steve Jones in uh, Portland. And Max McCallman, who has been such a supporter of G's Journeys and has been involved with several of our tours. And I decided Oregon needs to be the place we go first here in the U.S. So we very aggressively in the last six, eight months started to put plans together to build the tour. Where, you know, how did you decide where to go? I mean, I know that there's Rogue, and everybody knows Rogue because of they're course. awesome. But how did you branch out from there? Uh, did Steve help you uh, find some smaller producers you didn't know existed? You know, that's what's so remarkable about Oregon. And when you look at um, not just the cheese producers, but a lot of the peripheral support that they have to produce uh, or to support food, farm-to-table, food industry, producers, excellent restaurants, small producers, they have a great amount of people willing to when you say hey i want to do this they're there for you and so i uh, i left the fancy foods show in january and i rented a car and i headed north and didn't stop till i'd been to almost pretty much the whole area of the state that's a big state very big that was our biggest challenge Greg. because you know you're talking about where do you how do you do all this in a week or 10 days so, there's so much there and then of course if you're not just talking about cheese and you're talking about wine and beer production and everything related to all of that you could spend a month it's pretty cool i mean i i think that it's great i i want to just give a little anecdotal <laughs> a little anecdotal you know thing here um you know, your gals were uh, were having a beer or several beers. Um, I don't know if they have more than one beer. I've seen them have more than one beer. I think at the, at the Cheese Bar, and they ran into one of my good friends who's also named Greg. And he started a little company out there called uh, – or he has a little company out there called Cowbell. Yep. And uh, Greg goes all around uh, the Pacific Northwest and gathers cheeses. Um, and he works with the makers. He gives feedback to them. And then he, he sends them to me you know, out here – here on the um, on the East Coast, um, and it was just such a funny little story because, you know, he's sitting there and uh, your gals are talking about the Essex Street Cheese Company, and he's just there. He's like, "Yeah, I, I used to work for them," and they're like, "Well, who the hell are you?" Because there's only four employees, <laughs> and uh, and he was the guy who actually built um, the original stall that we had back in the. Um, Back in the Essex Street Market. Yeah. Uh, he was a carpenter. The very beginning. Yeah, and he's a great cheesemonger. And yeah. uh, through him, I've been able to see so many more cheeses and so much more of the things. I've never been to Oregon. You know, I'm, I'm a coach. I, I just... First of all, I can get away from Italy, so I can't do it. But, right. But um, I can understand why you would want to go there. Yeah, you know, it takes a lot to just pull... I mean... It, to actually build a tour with great producers is one thing. But then what is so beautiful about Oregon is not only just the food, the producers, the people are amazing, the culture, but also, of course, the scenery. Who doesn't love I mean, it's gorgeous all there. of what's there? And, and that became then part of this tour as well. And we decided to actually call this tour an enthusiast tour, even though we have professionals who will be traveling with us, I'm sure, because we wanted to include and slow it down and enjoy everything that's related to Oregon and not just food in a very fast-paced kind of educational, you know, strictly educational type tour. So you fell in love with it. Yeah. You know, we, we start in Portland. We graze. We we don't just do the high-end kind of stuff and only the cheese stuff. We do a lot of mix. We do coffee tour. We do 
um, you know, a, a beer crawl. We do all sorts of cool, fun things with Steve in Portland. And of course, we're going to spend a little time at his new place there. And we love that. And um, then we'll be heading south to wine country. Some great There's some good wine out there. Wine, some good wines. And then how could you not go to the coast, right? So you got to get over to Newport because some of our favorite people I met were the rogue ale folks. How do you not like what they do with beer? Dead Guy Ale is pretty some pretty and, awesome you stuff. You know, they roll out the red carpet for us when we were there. They were so hospitable. We went to the farm and to see some of their small batch productions and now some of their spirits that they're working on. Very interesting and just what a are they great. Making? Oh, some really cool stuff. Uh, whiskey, of course. They've got a bourbon going, several different ages. Some nice mix of, they're growing a lot of their, not just their hops, you know, some of their specialty hops, but, you know, they got their own bees and various different things that are going on there, and that'll all be incorporated into the tour as well. That's one thing I've always, uh, from afar, uh, admired about the food scene from afar in Portland and in Oregon in general um, is that it's it's a, it's a three sixty thing. It's not like, yeah. hey, we're gonna buy some hops from Jim and that lives in England and make some beer. Everything's sort of grown from the ground up there. Am I wrong to assume no, that? No, I think uh, or they they have a very focused vision of of how they can best collaborate and be sustainable and help their neighbor with a lot of their production and goals and work together in a, in a much more advanced collaborative way that sometimes you just don't see in other other you know markets how's that trip filling up for you well we just released it this weekend so we kind of like to invite people to take a look at our website cheesejourneys.com and enjoy the beautiful artwork there that uh, my partner chris george has put together and the the inviting details of all of what we're going to be doing and as we work our way down from portland we finished the tour at the end of 10 days at our favorite event, the Oregon Guild uh, Cheese Festival. And we're yeah. hosted by those friends there at the Cheesemaker Dinner. We have private invites and events going on. And, of course, the amazing thing there is any of the, the cheesemakers that we happen to miss along the way because we couldn't do them all, we'll, it will culminate in that weekend event down in near Ashland and uh, a great opportunity to really spend time with all of those great folks. Anything that's a... I, I like any festival I can get my hands on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Food festivals are like the best, the best. And you know those that one's tried and tested. It's it's an amazing event, and uh, they not only just are featuring Oregon, but you'll see people from Vermont there. California is going to be there. Just a real opportunity to see all of what's going on in uh, in that community. That's great. In a world that gets scarier every day, I'm glad that good things are growing, you know, in little pockets of the world. It makes me a very happy man. Well, you know, and the one thing about Oregon, you have to kind of mentally prepare yourself. You know, if you've been living in New York City for any length of time and you spend a little time in Oregon, you start to realize things slow down. And that's the one of the facets of this trip is it's it's slow, it's relaxing, it's interesting, and you get to appreciate, like anywhere we go, the unique culture that is kind of around all of these producers and why they do what they do. So you mean I can't just, like, shove people out of the way when I go there? Is that what you're saying? Well, Greg, you might just enjoy <laughs> sleeping in a little bit. And, I love sleeping uh, yeah. in. <laughs> not, not having to go at breakneck pace, right? No, that's awesome. Um, I always love to talk to you. And I, I wanted to just touch on your other cheese journeys that you have in September. Uh, do you have any spots left on those? Uh, you guys are going to England and you're going to France, right? Right. You know, we, we built two different tours uh, for September. So I'm 
John and I will be over there for four or five, six weeks. And, of course, the opportunity is that you can travel uh, the first of the month in September. We still have a few places left for our French, our France tour, which is going to be in the Savoie, Alsace, and Jura regions. And, you know, those are just amazing alpine regions, some great wines, great cheeses. And we'll be traveling with Max McCollman and Laura Downey from uh, Fairfield Cheese, which we just love. I love the Jura. Um, the, the Jura is like has some of like the strangest wine that tastes like petrol, but my favorite philosopher, uh, Herman Hess, um, came from there. So when I traveled there, I always felt very close, uh, close to him. And I thought I understood him, you know, a little bit better. And, um, when you go to the fortress of San Antoine, which right, I, right, we'll be there for a day. You just you just don't come back the same person after you go to that place. You're so right, Greg. I, I, you speak from experience, I know, and and uh, to spend time and work with their people there, enjoy a lunch at the fort, and see the Cathedral of Comte cheese is life altering. Really amazing. They do a beautiful job. Anna, man, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I love to talk to you. You know, you're know. fantastic. Good to talk to you too. And uh, you know, I if you haven't signed up for the cheese journeys in Europe, get it done and get on this Oregon yeah. trip. You know, um, stay tuned next week for uh, Diane Stemple's book review. And in July, we have some more amazing post fancy food show pre ACS conference episodes planned. We're all looking forward to it, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd live in the Heritage Radio Network. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.